0: God's will for your life? Everyone has. We all have the question. We question it day in and day out. Is it God's will for me to have this job? Is it God's will for me to marry this person? Is it God's will for uh, me to uh, do this or do that? And then just knowing God's general will about is it God's will to heal? Is it God's will to be financially prosperous? Is it God's will uh, to, to, for us to be in church? Is it God's will for us to be hooked up with each other, serving? Whatever it is, We have all asked the question about God's will. And so I'm putting a plug here to let you know ahead of time. It'll probably go about four or five weeks, and you don't want to miss any of it. I believe it's really going to help answer some questions. And speaking of questions, I want to do something a little different. We've never really done anything like this before. But this is going to help me be able to get, uh, you know, really be able to narrow down where God wants us to go. And so here's what I want to do. If you have questions that you have ever asked about God's will, is it God's will for this or that, or if there's something going on in your life and you're wondering, man, is it, I don't know if that's God's will or if it's just my own personal urge, you know, we always fight with it. Is it just something that I want or is it something that God wants? Well, God gives us the desires of our hearts, so maybe God gave us, you know, we have all those questions. But here's what I want to do. In this next week, leading up to the series, and even once we're in the series, I want to know what those questions are. I want to know what questions you're asking concerning God's will. So I want you to email, uh, email the church. And uh, let me go ahead and give it to you so you know where to send that. But if you have questions, I want you to send your questions to us. And if you want them to be anonymous, then we'll develop a way to that they can be anonymous. But you know, if you don't care, then you can just email and say, Hey, Pastor Mark, this is a question that I've had concerning God's will. Maybe you can address it in the next series. And so email it to office at, office at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Very simple. Office at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. You got to make sure you put the Valdosta on there. Otherwise, it's going to go to St. Augustine. And they're going to be wondering, why are they asking questions about God's will? I don't know. I don't have your answers. (laughs) So office at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. I want you to go ahead and submit questions because God has really inspired me concerning God's will, and and there's questions that I have in my own life and for the church, and and I know that we're all asking those questions. I really believe this next series is going to hit home, and so we're going to start a series called The Solution, The Key to Solving God's Will, and we're going to find out how can we know God's will? How can we solve that? How can we better know, better understand? How can we know day in and day out, knowing God's purpose and God's intentions, okay? Uh, so uh, you don't want to miss that. But the reason I put that plug there is because today uh, I'm going to set up that series with this message on obedience. I want to set up knowing God's will because there is a prere- pre prerequisite to knowing God's will that we have to have. And it's what we're going to talk about today, it's obedience. Because I'll tell you right now, knowing God's will in your life will do you no good if we're not in a position to obey once we get that direction and get that guidance. If we just know something, but then don't do what we know, we're in a very bad position. So you'll see that today's message is going to kind of set up where we're going to go in the next few weeks. Uh, as far as solving God's will, knowing God's will, understanding God's will. And uh, so I want to talk about kingdom obedience today. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 12. Just to kind of set you up, Samuel is uh, addressing the Israelites here. The Israelites have asked to have a king like every other nation. Now we know that God was their king. They didn't need a man-made natural king in the earth because God was that king. And as long as they obeyed the leaders that God set up before them, they were obeying God. But they wanted to be like every other nation. That's where a lot of us as Christians in the church today is uh, having a lot of fault is because we want to look like the world. We want to we be like them. We want to do everything they're doing and just put our little Christian swing on it. Uh, But we have to be careful with that because there's an order and a design that God has set up for his people that looks nothing like the world. And so he doesn't want us to go into something and become it. He wants us to go into something and change it. And so uh, the Israelites have complained to Samuel. They said, we want a king, we want a king. Samuel goes before God and says, look, they're asking for a king. What do we do? And God says, go ahead and grant them their wish. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. As their king. And so look at some of the words that God gives here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. Look, God's not even backing this thing up. He says, you want a king? Here's your king. And he obviously chose King Saul, but he puts it on the people. He says, look, this is something you demanded. This is something you wanted. And and God gave all the uh, negatives uh, about it. He said, look, if you get a king, he's going to take your uh, women and children into slavery. He's going to make you slaves. You're going to owe him everything. He's going to take lands. He's going to take money. He's going to take cattle. He's going to take things from you. And they said, no, we want a king. We want a king. And so he's letting them know what they're getting into. And uh, how many of you know, sometimes God lets us know what we're getting into and we still do it anyways, right? Uh, not a whole lot has changed. Uh, but verse 13, now therefore, here is your king. Here's the king whom you have chosen, whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. Look here. He's saying, if you continue to obey me, if you continue to follow my commands, if you continue to love me, if you continue to walk uprightly before me, even though there's a natural king in the earth for you to look at, you still need to live according to my purposes and my principles. Because God is king. God has established a kingdom. And by us, Receiving Jesus as our Lord, we are now in that kingdom, and He's the one we answer to. And so He says, even though you have a natural king in your midst, a natural authority figure in your midst, I am still the one that is choosing how you live. My principles, my statutes, my way of life is still key. And if you and your king do not follow that, then uh, you are gonna walk in the negative, and that's where He goes. Uh, In the next verse, verse 15, However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. God here is identifying something very important. He's He's identifying how his kingdom operates. And his kingdom operates on one term, one degree, and that's obedience. His whole kingdom operates on your ability to obey his voice. Regardless of the figure that's in front of you, regardless of the government system that has been set up, obedience is how God operates his kingdom. When he gives a word or a decree, it is now an opportunity for us to follow or not follow his voice. So he's making it very plain here. My kingdom that I'm setting up Operates upon your ability to obey my word, my commands, and my decrees. Notice here that obedience brings the blessing of God. True obedience brings the blessings of God. Not the form of government. He didn't say if you obey Saul and everything Saul tells you to do. He says, if you obey me, and if your king obeys me. See, there's nothing in the earth that can replace his kingdom and his authority. There is nothing in this earth that can replace the authority that God has in our lives. And so he's identifying, if you're going to operate in my kingdom, you can only operate by one degree, by one thing, and that is obeying and your obedience to my decrees and my commands. And the blessings will follow that. He says, if you uh, obey, if you follow you and your king, uh, then uh, you will continue to follow the Lord your God. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord and rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. And it's not that God is striking us or that God is coming against us himself, but when he removes his covering off of you, Now you're opening yourself up and making yourself susceptible and vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And this is what was happening in the book of Judges, the big cycle that went on. Because see, God set his people up for blessing. I mean, if you go all the way back to Abraham, he promised Abraham, you're going to have children as many as the stars in the sky, the sands on the sea. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to be taken into a land called Egypt. And they're going to be made slaves for over 400 years. They're going to serve another man. But I'm only setting you up because when the time comes for a deliverer to come named Moses to set you free, you're going to take all their stuff with you. See, we get in bondage and we get in slavery and we think, oh God, what's going on? And we don't see that God has a plan working behind the whole thing. He wanted them to go into Egypt so they could end up taking everything that Egypt had has and go into the promised land with it and start a whole new nation. And so they were set up going into Egypt. Moses shows up, becomes their leader. They come out. Joshua helps them get, get a foothold in the promised land. They start taking uh, down nation after nation, taking down uh, Jericho, taking down the Ammonites, taking down the Amalekites, taking down the Philistines. And winning all these battles, but then something happened. They disobeyed God's command, turned from God, and those enemies that they were supposed to conquer were now conquering them. And so we have judges show up. We have Samson, we have Gideon, we have Deborah, we have Ehud. We had all these uh, judges that God was sent to deliver his people, and those were the leaders. But now the people want an actual king. And God says, regardless of what authority is in your life, your obedience is still to me. Your allegiance is still to me. You're my people. I am your God. You obey my commands and my decrees. But they failed every time. Now, you have to understand, when we're talking about obedience, I'm not talking about laws. I'm not talking about a list of do's and don'ts. And you'll see that later on. That what we're really talking about in true obedience has nothing to do with what you do on the outside. Just go ahead and identify that. Because then we'll run into what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. And they did everything right on the outside. But Jesus had some very choice, stern words for them and for their ministry. And so we have to identify what this true obedience Looks like there is no one else responsible for the blessings that come in our lives. You have, to, you have to define this today. You have to understand this today. There is nobody else in this earth that is responsible for the blessings that you walk in or for the curses that you walk in in your life. The only one responsible is you. Because you're the only one responsible to obey the voice of God When he speaks, when God shows up, when God gives a direction, when God says, do this, when God says, don't do that. He is looking for, will you take advantage of the opportunity to obey me? And really, anytime God gives a command, anytime God speaks a direction of guidance in your life, that is an opportunity for you to walk in blessing in your life. Do you see that? An opportunity to obey is an opportunity for blessing to show up in your life. But it's also an opportunity to disobey and an opportunity for cursing to show up in your life. Go over a few chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we'll identify here, uh, if you're in version, all the verses are in there, and you'll see that we have put the whole... Chapter of 1 Samuel 15. And just to let you know, uh, the You version verses, those are in there all week long. Just want you to know that. They're not just in there while we're here in service. You can look at those on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can be pulling those up. You can be meditating on those scriptures. And so those are there in case if you want to go back and you want to uh, rehash or look at. Uh, what we've been looking at here in service, which you ought to be doing, those are there for you. And I'm not going to read all of 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to break down uh, the passage for you, and then we're going to look at one key passage that points out what we're looking at. Because we're talking about kingdom obedience. What does true obedience look like? This King Saul started out good. In fact, he started out how we all would want to start out. Picked by God. He was just doing his thing. Doing, uh, He was shepherding he was working uh, for his father in a field, on a farm, just minding his own business. And God aligns for this man to become king. And every battle he fought, he won. Every uh, nation that tried to come against him, he conquered. Everyone he went out against, he, he conquered, he demolished. And he was doing what we all would want, living what we would all want to be living. But somewhere along the line, he fell off and decided to do his own thing rather than what God wanted him to do. 1 Samuel chapter 15, God speaks to Samuel, who's a prophet, still an authority figure, still has a voice because he has been picked by God to be a prophet in the earth. And he says to Saul, God wants you to go out against the Amalekites and he wants you to utterly destroy them. Now that means leave nothing, destroy everything, every man, every woman, every child, every uh, animal. Destroy the whole thing, leave nothing behind. So Saul takes the command, he goes out against them, and he whips them, defeats them, no problem. Wins the battle. But he decides to leave some alive. He leaves the king, Agag, alive. Takes him as a slave. He leaves uh, some of the animals alive because he says that he wants to sacrifice them to God later. And Samuel shows up on the scene and says, what's all that noise in the background? I, 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 I preached a message once called, why are dead things talking? And Samuel shows up and says, why do I hear things that are supposed to be dead? Why are they making noise? We've left something alive. And he does what every terrible, worthless leader does. Blames other people. Well, the people wanted me to do it or the people made me do it. Uh, He straight up lies to Samuel and at one point says, I did obey God. And Samuel goes, no, you did it." The command was very simple, and you went directly against the command that God gave you. And so now we get down to verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed the fat of, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul failed in his task. Of destroying the nation because he he went directly against God's command. And we know that that's called disobedience. Disobedience. God had some very choice words for King Saul here. And if you keep on reading, Saul finally realizes, man, I've, I've messed up. I've messed up so he says, Samuel, please plead with God. Don't leave me here. Plead with God that he'll forgive me. Plead with God that he'll save me from any, uh, anything that he wants to do against me. And Samuel turns to walk away and says, forget it. This is, we're done. And he grabs his cloak and it rips part of his cloak. And Samuel turns around and says, just as you have ripped that piece off of my clothing, God has ripped the kingdom from your hands. God removed him from king because of his inability to submit to him as king. And we saw this last week. We talked about, or the week before. Last week was Pastor Earl. The week before that was kingdom authority. We talked about how our ability to remain in submission to God's authority uh, has to do with our ability to remain in authority. And you're going to have a hard time telling the devil what to do if you can't do what God's telling you to do. That's the first place you have to look. Man, I've been praying about this and just nothing seems to be changing. The first place we have to look is inside and say, God, is there any way, is there anywhere that I am not in full alignment with your purpose? Is there anywhere that I have disobeyed you or I haven't followed your command, like I should have, reveal that to me so I can get in alignment, so I can change this situation. We saw that a couple weeks ago. But now we're seeing a situation here that really, in our natural eyes, we could think, well, I mean, he's wanting to sacrifice to God. I mean, he's wanting to offer up these animals. That's not so bad. I mean, that's a good reason to keep something alive, right? To sacrifice it? To give it to God? But God has a response to that. And he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Look at this in the New Living Translation. I like how it reads. Samuel's very direct here in verse 22. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you. As king, this is one of the biggest issues that we have as Christians in obedience because there's a lot of times we try to justify our obedience by what we are really doing. But I need to show you today that obedience really has nothing to do with what you do. Yes, obedience has an action. But it first and foremost is not an action. The sacrifice, and did people offer sacrifices in the Old Testament? In fact, they were commanded to offer sacrifices. They had to sacrifice all kinds of stuff for all kinds of crazy reasons. Go read Leviticus. And it's a, it's a puzzle. And thank God we're saved from that. They, thank God that there has been a sacrifice laid once and for all that we don't have to do that anymore. Because that was not a, a good picture. That was not a good thing. That every day you're having to sacrifice something for something that you did. So sacrifices were being made. But notice here that God is looking for something beyond your natural sacrifice of something. He's looking for obedience. Obedience. ...is greater than sacrifice. Watch this. Because true obedience... ...is the ultimate sacrifice. Say that again. Obedience is greater... ...and better than sacrifice... ...because true obedience of your life... ...is the ultimate sacrifice. See, God wasn't looking... ...for him to sacrifice... uh, uh, ...animals... In cattle, he was looking for him to sacrifice himself. The sacrifice, the thing that God wanted Saul to lay on the altar, wasn't an animal, wasn't oxen, wasn't sheep, wasn't uh, goats, wasn't turtle doves. He wanted Saul to lay down his will. Obedience, true obedience, is laying down your will for what someone else wants to do. Watch this. Every time God gives a command, you will have an opportunity to do something else. God's commands are never the only option. God's commands are never the only option. They have never been the only option. Even in the garden, when Adam and Eve were commanded, do not eat of this tree, they had an option. We can eat of the tree. If, God, if God's commands were the only options, then where's the heart? And that right there identifies what true obedience is. True obedience Is inward, not outward. Now, many people want to make a big ado about actions and, you know, we're not saved by works. You sure weren't saved by works. There's nothing you could do to get in the kingdom. But there is an action that follows what your heart does. And if your heart is right, the proper action will take place. There will be an action, there will be a work. And so he's identifying here, Saul, the thing that I wanted you to lay down was your will. The thing that I wanted you to put on the altar was your heart, was your motives, was your intentions, was your desires, was your purpose. And I want you to lay all that down for my will, for my intentions, for my purpose. See, that's why this going into knowing God's will, if you think that, just finding out God's will is going to help you walk in God's will, you're incorrect because you will always have an option to go outside of God's will. God's will is for you to walk in love, but you have the option to hate. God's will is for you uh, to to spend spend time with him and give attention to him, but you will always have time to do something else. Ever notice that when you sit down and you say, all right, I'm going to read the Word, 10 million things pop into your mind that you need to do? Anyone been there? I know I'm not the only one. Don't think because I'm a pastor that I sit down uh, and it's just easy for me to read the Bible and pray. I'll start praying or I'll I'll start reading. I'm thinking, man, I need to do this, man. uh, I need to watch this or, you know, there's a million different things. I I can't, I I don't do very well reading my Bible on my iPad. I do it sometimes. But it's so easy to hit that little home button and go out and check something. Oh, what's this going to do? It's amazing how things you never thought of will pop into your mind. Why? Because there's always another option. Anytime there's another option, there's one thing that's required. It's called sacrifice. And the sacrifice that God is looking for Is us. The sacrifice that God wants is us. He wants our wills, our will, to line up with His will. He wants our motives and intentions to line up with His motives and intentions. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, bring a sacrifice of praise. You know what that means? You don't just praise him when everything's going good. Because then it wouldn't be a sacrifice. That's easy to praise God when you just got a check in the mail for the amount of money that you needed. Praise God. God, you are so awesome. But what about when you need the money and there's no sign of it coming in? There's a sacrifice of praise. I am laying my will down. I'm laying mine. Right now, I have no, I do not want to praise God. I have no reason to praise God, but I'm going to do it anyways. He's looking for the sacrifice. He doesn't want us to worship Him, praise Him, do things for Him only when it's easy, only when it's comfortable. He's looking for the sacrifice of will you obey me when there are a million other things you could do. There's a million other ways you could respond in this situation. But I'm going to sacrifice myself and I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. That day King Saul lost the kingdom. That day God rejected him as king because he rejected the king. There's a lot at stake because the entire kingdom that we live in operates and hinges on this obedience factor. Everything is at stake. Your life is at stake. Your family is at stake. Your career and your favor is at stake. And don't be fooled. Just because everything continues on in the natural like it should be, doesn't mean you're still in the right position. King Saul remained king for quite a while after this instance. In fact, he spent 14 years hunting the new king, David, and throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. And he was the king, King Saul. But yet he lost the kingdom on this day. We have to align our will and our desires with the king. That's called sacrifice. That's called true obedience. Now, true obedience takes place in the heart. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. The number one thing that God is looking for is not sacrifice. And this might shake some of your lives a little bit. This might unravel a few things, and I hope it does, because I want you to truly submit to God. Really submit to God, and not do what we're about to see. Matthew chapter 21. The number one thing God is looking for you, from you, is not a sacrifice of things. He's just looking for a sacrifice of your life and in Matthew chapter 21 and we're going to start in verse 28 says but what do you think a man had two sons and he came to the first and said son go work today in my vineyard he answered and said I will not But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, Tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. Now let me tell you, he's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to the religious people. He's talking to what would be known today as church people, saved Christians. And he says that tax collectors, harlots, prostitutes, thieves, robbers, They will enter the kingdom of God before you, the Christian, the church group. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, watch this, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Jesus identifies what true obedience is all about. He's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees knew the word in and out. At that time it was called the law, the Old Testament. Knew it in and out. They studied it. They gave money to the poor. They would pray. In fact, they were known to pray out on the street corners in front of everybody so everyone could see them. They would go to church, go to the temple for the reading of the word. They would sacrifice regularly as they were commanded to. They would do all the right things. But Jesus is addressing what true obedience looks like. The first son was told to go work, and he told his father, no, I will not go. But then afterwards, ended up going. The second son said, yes, sir, I'll go. But then never did it. And he asked the question, which one did the will of his father what does that mean? Which one obeyed his father? And they answered, well, the first one, because he ended up going back and doing it. The difference between the first and the second was not the action of going and working. The difference between the first and the second was the heart. Go back and read it again. Verse 29. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went out. Another translation says, Repented. Another translation says, Changed his mind. That word repent has nothing to do with an action. It has everything to do with your heart. See, the first son said, no, I will not do it. And I'll tell you right now, everybody in this room at one time in our life said, no, I will not do it. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no one in this room that spoke up and said, yeah, I'll go, and then went and did it. We all fall in this category of one or the two. It was the heart change of the first son that showed he was obedient, he was submitted to the will of his father. The second son, on the outside, looks submitted. Yes, I will go but then didn't even go. He's identifying here, you, being Pharisees, on the outside, look like you're doing it all right. You look like you're obeying. You look like you're in obedience. But that's not what I'm looking at. On the outside, that's what man sees. We know over in 1 Samuel, when Samuel went to go find David, that God told him, Man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. See, King Saul looked like a king. He was taller than everybody. He was good looking. He looked like a leader on the outside. But God sees past the outside and sees the heart. Then we see David, a shepherd boy, where he had seven brothers in front of him that all looked like they could play the part. And God says, no, there's another one. You mean that scrawny, red-headed shepherd boy out in the field? Yep, that's the one. The one that's feeding sheep and hanging out with sheep. That's the one who's going to be the next king of my people. And Jesus is talking to Pharisees and Sadducees here, and he says, I'm looking at something completely different than what you're looking at. You can put the show on on the outside, but I'm looking at something different. I see past all that, and I see the heart. And the tax collectors, and the harlots, the prostitutes, the murderers, the thieves, when they repent, when they change their heart, they're the ones that are going to get into the kingdom. They are the ones that are truly obedient. Watch this. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they had it down on the outside. Religious activity in and of itself has no value. Religious activity in and of itself, by itself, without the right heart, means nothing to God. And this is why we have to identify true obedience. I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care how often you come to church. I don't care how much money you give to the poor and to charities and to missions. I don't care how many times you pray. I don't care how many times you praise and worship God. If there's no correct heart motive behind it, it is not obedience to God. He's looking at something way beyond the size of your check and your church attendance, and how many times you pray and open the word. Now, those actions will follow a correct heart. I'm not saying refrain from doing those things and just get the heart right, because if your heart's right, then the action will follow. But just doing the religious activity with no proper heart behind it is useless and carries no value with God. And that's who these Pharisees and Sadducees were. They were the people that said, yes, I will go. But then actually never went out with the correct heart. They never really aligned their will and motives. And that's why he said, look, John the Baptist came to you. And when he came, the harlots and the prostitutes and the thieves and the tax collectors, when they heard what John the Baptist had to say, they said, whoa, we repent. We've been doing this thing wrong. We want to get it right. We want to do what the Father says to do. But when John the Baptist came and you heard him, you said, let's kill this guy. And they did the exact same thing to Jesus. Rejected Jesus. Rejected his message. Rejected the word. They didn't repent. They rejected. And when you reject the word of the king, then he rejects you. Because his kingdom operates on one standard, one principle, obedience. But true obedience goes way beyond what you do. True obedience requires a correct heart. True obedience requires a correct heart. Now, I know that hits home. When I was studying this out, man, it just makes you look inside and it just Father, may my will and my desires be fully submitted to your will and your desires. May I not get caught up in just always doing and saying the right things and looking the part, but may I get my heart aligned with why you want me to do this, why you want me to sow to my church, why you want me to attend, why you want me to serve uh, at my church? Why you want me to give? Why you want me to pray? Why you want me to read your word? I want to I get the why, not just the what. I was just talking to someone before this service. And that's what a lot of people are caught up in doing. Tradition. In Matthew 15, verse 3, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and says, You have fallen out of submission to God because of your traditions. You hold your traditions higher than God's word. This is a a, a very traditional town in that sense. People go to church because that's what they've always done. People uh, uh, go to that, that church because that's what they've always done. And people take communion because that's just what we do. I remember having a conversation with someone once and they asked, do you guys take communion? Yeah. Well, because she had been here for a few months and we hadn't taken communion. And they said, well, you know, the church I went to, we took communion every Sunday. And I said, okay. And that's fine. That's great. But I asked her a question. I said, why do you take communion? Why do we take communion? What is the purpose of it? And the only answer the person had was, it's just what we've always done. See, we've done it so much. And so often that we lose the value for why we even do it. We lose the whole purpose behind the whole thing. And we know what we heard. Without knowing the purpose of something, abuse is inevitable. We have done it so much that it has become routine and it has become tradition said we do we do communion and we do it often because the bible says how often or as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me so define often well we'll let the holy spirit define often and when he moves and says this week we're going to do communion but guess what every time we do communion in this church you're going to know what you're doing you're going to know why you're doing it. There's not going to be familiarity there. There's not going to be routine. Oh, we're just doing that cracker juice thing again. No, we're going to have the real reason and purpose behind why we do it. Amen. And that's going to be with everything we do in this church. There is nothing we will do here just by tradition. Right now we have prayer on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. And if that becomes a tradition... And that's just what we do. We'll change it up. I'm all about changing stuff up so we don't fall into tradition. There's some that you give traditionally. Some of you, you write your check out before service even starts. Some of you write it out on Saturday. Some of you do it maybe in the middle of the week and say, all right, this is what I'm going to give on Sunday. And we just do it out of tradition and we don't stop and say, Father, what would you have me sow into the kingdom this weekend? don't stop and pray. And when we lose the reason for it, when we lose the purpose, we lose the value for it. And I, well, I'm just giving my tithe. And there's that one week where he says, I want you to throw in $20. But we have come into a traditional, that's it. And look, 10% is easy, man. That's e- if it, anybody can do basic math, 10%. If it's $2,000, I'm writing a check for $200. That's simple. Anybody can do that. But God wants us to be submitted to his will and to his desires, and true obedience brings the heart into it where we stop and we say, Father, what is it that you would have me do this week? Some of you have carved out an exact amount of time. Daily, I am gonna read. I spend this time from. I get up in the morning uh, from six to seven. I read my Bible before I start work. And he's saying, "No, tomorrow I want you to get up thirty minutes earlier. Yeah, five thirty. Get up at five thirty. Add thirty minutes." But we do things traditionally. We do things out of habit. We do things out of routine. And God never meant the kingdom to be routine. God never meant the kingdom to be familiar. He meant it to be done in alignment with his will and his purpose. As we go through this next series and we begin to solve the formula for God's will, finding out how we can know and understand God's will, when you start seeing God's will in your life, know that that's not a pattern for every single time. He wants you to be sensitive to his spirit, sensitive to his word, and what he says, you'll be able to switch on a dime and do that. Look, there were times with King Saul where they were allowed to go into a nation, destroy a nation, and take all the spoils for themselves. Plenty of times. Read in the Bible. There were plenty of opportunities where God would say, you go in, you destroy this nation, and everything that's left over, you can take it and keep it for yourself. But then there were times where God said, do not take one thing with you. You got to be able to get out of routine and tradition. You have to be able to be sensitive to the voice of God And obey the voice of God every time he speaks. That's what true obedience is. True obedience has nothing to do with the action. It first of all is a position and a a state of the heart that the actions follow behind that. And so this allows us to do a check in our lives. This allows us to identify some areas in our lives that, you know what, I've fallen into tradition there. I've fallen into just the process, the routine, the ritual. And God never meant his church to be a ritual. God never meant for his kingdom to be routine. God never meant for his kingdom to become familiar and just be a process. He wanted a right heart. He wanted a right position. He wanted someone that would obey and follow and align themselves to his will every time. So this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to take a moment. This is an opportunity for us this morning to identify in our own lives, am I in true obedience? And be like the first son. Be like the first son. And say, Man, Father, I started out saying, No, I won't. But I repent. I change my mind. I change my heart. I change my thinking. Whatever it is, it could be something small, it could be something big. But identify the motive and the purpose and the reason. Did you align yourselves? Are you aligned with his will? Are you aligned with his purpose? He has such great things for us. True obedience brings the blessings of the Lord. Imagine the blessings that will show up in your life when you follow his intention with giving. Imagine the uh, blessings that will show up in your life when you follow his purpose for studying the word. Imagine the intentions or the blessings that will fall when we align ourselves with his purpose and his intent for church and for serving That I don't just serve because somebody put my name on a schedule. I serve because God has asked me to serve in this area. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we thank you that every time you speak your word, every time you give a command, every time you give a direction, you are giving us an opportunity to walk in your blessing. You said that if we follow after you, that we would follow in your blessings, that, uh, that the people that we bless, that they would bless us. But, Father, you also said that if we don't align ourselves uh, with the right purpose, the right intents, the right motives, that we would open ourselves up, make ourselves vulnerable and susceptible to attacks of the enemy. So, Father, this morning we take this time to correct our heart correct our minds, correct our thinking, align ourselves with your motives, your purpose, your will. There is nothing more important to us than your will in our lives. There is nothing more important than following your commands, your decrees. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about right and wrong. It's about following the word of God. Father, this is not about actions. This is not about works. This is about a heart motive that then produces right actions and right works. I thank you for every person here. I thank you every individual under the sound of my voice this morning that has taken the opportunity to identify in their own life. What is my will? What is is my intention? And is it lined up with the King? Father, I thank you that blessings are about to open up in their lives things that they have been waiting for, things that they have been calling on you for, things that they have been longing for, you're about to flood them with your blessings. Father, I thank you that we correct this morning, right now, we look inward, and we correct those heart motives, we correct that thinking in that area, and we align it with your purpose and your intentions. And I thank you for what It's going to produce in our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.